Welcome to Bits About Books, the home for conversations with authors of breakthrough books on sales, marketing and business. Founders, entrepreneurs and individual professionals, we all need to keep track of ideas that are helping create our today and tomorrow. Bits About Books will strive to find those books and speak to their authors, go behind the scenes and understand what inspired the authors to write the books that they did and how they went about doing so. Through our conversations, we hope to gain insights that will help us to get the most out of our efforts. I'm your host Shubhanjan Sarkar, founder of Pitchlink, the next generation buyer-seller engagement platform where our mission is to make buying easy. Welcome to Bits About Books. Thank you for your time and for joining us in this session. I have a favor to ask. While you continue to listen to the podcast, please leave a comment or rating at iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts from. I personally look at each comment and will give you a shout out to each of you in our following episodes. It means a lot to hear from you. Our guest today is Shantanu Kumar and we speak with him about his new book, Starting and Scaling AI Ventures. And once information gathering is happening, what source of information is giving how much value? So how much do you rely on maybe if you're just writing code and you ask an expert how to go about this? Maybe you listen to them, but maybe you still do what you have to do because your losses are limited. You can still write your own code and and lose nothing at the end of it. But when you're deploying this to users, and if you don't listen to somebody who's done it before, what is the delta loss that you have? So that was the second step to just understand what piece of information at what stage of the landscape is most important to users. So, and if if it's not being create if it's not creating enough value at that stage. can we bolster that piece of information more can we research more there can we write more there so i think it was just mapping of that current landscape understanding where are the information sources coming from and how important are they at each step and where is my expertise lying to be able to fill that gap shantanu kumar is a data scientist at snapchat on the international growth team and the author of starting and scaling ai ventures He previously worked at LinkedIn and was the head of AI products at Infido, scaling it to multi-million dollar revenues to be one of the leading employee engagement organizations globally and a part of Y Combinator's Summer 2020 cohort. He also had a stint in Udacity's data team and is the author of LexCore, a sentiment lexicon contextualizing algorithm. As an active contributor to Stanford Scholar, Shantanu's research on fake news detection is voted highest on the platform. A global speaker and guest lecturer, Shantanu has taught at many B schools in India and spoken at various AI and entrepreneurship forums. Now, on to this futuristic discussion with Shantanu Kumar. Shantanu, welcome to Bits About Books. Uh, I'm thrilled to have you here because a lot of the books and authors I talk to uh with the barring one major exception of Carl Gold who came and spoke about churn and he he's a he was a data scientist at Zora barring him i do not talk to many data scientists okay so so it is an absolute pleasure to have you here and uh, and i am really looking forward to this chat welcome thank you so much anjan and likewise i think heard heard very very good things about the podcast and very happy to i think there's Uh, you're right. I think the the data science space. I'm glad I'm the second person on on this piece, but I hope I can make it worth your while as well. Well, uh, I'm I'm quite certain because uh, uh, the book itself, uh, 
is uh, to my mind very timely because AI is a much maligned term. People use it very loosely, you know, simple, I don't know, logic threads are presented as AI, right? Oh, yeah, but I think one of one of those and, and great point that, that you speak about because I think there's um, with a lot of and, and for just like a quick anecdote and a little bit of background, I think this space. Uh, so I, I started learning a little more about this space when I was about 14, 15. So very early back then it was uh, a lot of mathematical decision making. So new terms are being thrown around back then. So I think it's just been a good um, 30, 40 years of evolution of this field as well. Of course, I haven't been here long enough to see all of that. But from what I saw, it used to be mathematical decision making, then came statistics, then came data science and AI. So I think it's just like a jumbled bunch of uh, similar words. I think the core of all of which is is data. So so very happy to get into that space as, as we talk more as well. Wonderful. So before we get started, uh, I know your background and uh, you can talk about that a bit if you want. Uh, yep. Why did you think it was necessary or when did you think that it's necessary to write a book like this? Uh, so I think a uh, great, great question. First of all, I think just a quick piece on, on how the idea first came about. So I think one of them was two moments, as a matter of fact, and only one of them were times where I actually had capacity in me to be able to act on that idea. So I think one of the times when I was very young and, and we just saw, so I, I was hearing about Edward Snowden back in the day and, and, and the NSA and everything. So I think lots of that with his book that came out, Permanent Record as well. So I think lots of that was early inspiration for me in the fact that we have been living for a very long time, but there is, we, we act and, and our actions make other actions for us and so on and so forth, right? So I think it's very um, machine-like in some ways that you're, a, a lot of people would uh, conflict, disagree and so on. But I think there's a lot of times I feel that the decisions that you've already made feed into the decisions that you are about to make by virtue of either self-image, by virtue of the path you've already taken and so on and so forth. So I think this was when I was a lot younger and I, and I read that book, I realized that there is a lot of data out there in the world that is not inside computers. So just by virtue of uh, what, what a lot of people would say, understanding of self, what a lot of people would say, just wisdom, right? So I think it's it's a blanket term now that we use. Uh, a lot of that, if if put down into digital formats, and, and of course, there's as, as we've seen language grow across the previous few decades and centuries, I think language always just goes towards brevity as compared to actually using more stuff to be, because I, we're, we're all about faster communication, smaller time blocks. So I think as, as that scales, we're reducing information to as smaller chunks and pieces as we can, and your vocabulary is increasing. But that takes away from the fact that there is lesser detailed information out there about how communication is happening, how decision-making is going on. It's all in the head. People sometimes need to meditate, slow down to understand what's going on. So I think lots of those things in place. This was very early on when I realized that there is data out there in the world, but there is so much that is not. And that's driving most of what we do today. So I think when you look at the larger scheme of things, there's we don't we don't track what happens when we wake up in the morning and, and brush our teeth or have our first meal, right? Like what's going on in our head is not is untracked, but it is data to some degree. Uh, so I think that was one of my triggers, but that was more of an emotional trigger to just put out there in many ways that 
and 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 the book ended up taking a very different route from that so this was when um, when i was at udacity as well when i had a brief stint there in in their data team so udacity was building large scale solutions for education and across the across the globe and this is when i thought about the fact that this is something that can help improve learner outcomes as well how students learn in classrooms and so on so just awareness and understanding of ai of data and how we can build a lot of those things into our modern day solutions will change the way we we perform and we think but so this was the first emotional trigger of course back in the day i, I was i was too young i was also mostly caught up in in I, it was just my first role anywhere else so most of it was just me thinking that i'm reaching far beyond what i think i know and the idea is probably good but maybe i'm not the right person to be able to put that out and so on and so forth so i think uh, that was the first piece and and more of an emotional trigger the second time was when i was spending time with infido and, and i just exited uh, the company as well so i think this was uh, early march 2020 i just moved on to linkedin so i think one of the best things that that we learned there was just by virtue of the fact that we went we ended up um going to y combinator i i joined them when we were at about 300000 annual revenue we went on to about 2 to 2 and a half i think far far more now so did a lot of things that that worked out grew well scaled well but a lot of times uh, from from my function as well i realized that some of the decisions we made didn't really have and and you say a lot of times right like people say that this was a gut based decision this was you thought about something and you did it and it worked out because you measured it so lots of that was in place so we didn't really know from from my standpoint i thought that it's useful to put out how we made those decisions because it helped individuals and for context infido is an employee engagement solution we have a bot called amber now amber speaks to employees at regular intervals to try to understand how they're feeling whether they're happy at work not happy whether they're about to leave the organization so attrition is one of the biggest problems in nhr in the world right and regrettable attrition is one it costs a lot of money it costs a lot of retraining rehiring so we were in that space and we realized that what we were building really helped people just open up just talk and we thought that maybe we were doing something right somewhere so that was the second trigger when i moved on to linkedin is when i realized that um there there is something that we did that worked and we might as well just start to think about it because a lot of times how ai and data is being used in the world today is cut and dry out of the box solutions being put in places sometimes where they don't belong and i feel usage of a lot of these solutions are narrow but very powerful and in the wrong places in the wrong ways to implement them sometimes they can just go sideways so i think that was the second trigger that i actually ended up acting on so spent a lot of time at linkedin just putting out that book just just writing in my free time had the great chance to be able to bring in and and speak to a lot of great people just by virtue of being at linkedin as well i think linkedin had one of the best and and still probably does one of the best data teams that i've ever had the chance to work with they diverse set of folks and uh, that that helped a lot of the research with the book as well so i think that's just some quick background on on what made me begin but it was the second trigger that actually made me go for it and make sure i i put this out there somewhere sure sure that's interesting in fact uh, when you talk about loss of of information right uh, i remember i was sitting at a presentation where a gentleman i don't recall his name uh, he was actually lecturing about how the the shift from the indian 
original way of shruti which is like your remembrance of of epics and 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 written work when it moved from shruti to text how we lost lot of information because when it was recited it came with intonations it came with emotions and all of those were gone and you are reading dry text and and we lost all of that completely right yeah. so it is yeah, sort of it is sort of related to how you say that there are important parts of data a lot of data may be useless also i mean it's not correct. that all data is useful so if some of it is lost it's fine but yeah. sometimes very important pieces get lost and uh, and to your point uh, yeah so i just thought i'll 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 mention that so when you decided you're in linkedin you decide that okay i'll write this book uh, what do you do next how do you go about actually doing it um so i think uh, and and this is a great question because this is what a lot of people would uh, face the maximum inertia with because because you realize i think the first bit is realizing whether your idea makes sense makes any sense so is there value in this has it been written about before are you the right person to be able to put this out so i think lots of those very quick questions come into play but the first thing is just researching whether what what kind of decision making currently exists in the world when you are looking to put out solutions in terms of data powered solutions ai powered solutions what are you really doing like what are humans currently resorting to so understanding current landscape was the most important part for me in that even it's even if it's been written before even if it's been so if it's been written before research before it's great because it's validated this makes sense people want to read about it uh, if it's not it's a little more murky because you're figuring out what's the audience who's going to listen to this who what who is it important for so i think lots of those things but the first one was just what do people do today like if i believe that this is the direction where i want the book to be or or my my problem statement was i believe people need to think a little harder um from from start to end when they're deploying solutions that are powered by ai so what are people doing today how do they make that decisions when they realize they want to put something out do they speak to ai experts do they read a book do they actually put this out experiment it out so what is the current landscape what is the current state once i figure out the current state uh when it comes to the book i realized if there is a current state that exists that is very manual in nature then it makes sense to be able to put something out there because if right now you're not able to get the right information sources which would mean that the sources of information are too diverse like somebody's reading from uh, maybe research somebody's reading from opinion somebody's talking to a friend somebody's just putting it out there and experimenting uh, to some degree that told me the fact that there is no common source of information that will give you a solid answer to the questions that you have so who are this kind of people who are the, who are your target group so my target group was people so so when i was my own target group in some ways from one year ago so the people who are deploying ai powered solutions data powered solutions that are impacting human lives at the end of it so how how will you define them like i mean are these like ceos or are these more data people who are working with ai who what 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 do you slot them so many ways three different kinds i think product owners would be one so either product managers or chief product officers or anything any roles that require you to own a product life cycle that is one second would be ceos 100% um only by virtue of the fact that if you are building a business that has the rock bottom of 
its its soul as AI or as data. You need to be aware of how it brings you money, how it brings you value, and those two things. So I think these are the two. The final piece was more along the lines of an end user, like when you are receiving AI products at the end of it. So for example, Facebook newsfeed, recommender engines, notifications that come to you that are hyper personalized, so to speak. So these were three large audiences that we started in the in the order of importance. So product owners. Business owners and then end users. Okay, yeah, carry on. So, so you basically started talking to them, figuring out where they stand and what they're reading, what is their source of information in in their decision today. making. Correct. Yeah, today. So, I think once I mapped out that current landscape, uh, what was important to understand when and and not to say that people are still doing it and succeeding at putting out AI solutions in the world today. So, not taking away from that, it, it doesn't mean if there is no information that information is probably like lacking or something of that sort like evidence of uh, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence so i think that is what i started off with to just say that somewhere something is clicking for somebody so once i mapped out that current landscape try to understand what are the avenues where ambiguity is the highest to say that are people talking to people that are from very different backgrounds when they are looking to deploy them to end users or when are they talking to people are they talking when they're writing code are they talking when they're collecting data are they talking when they're putting it out to the public so when is information gathering happening at what stage of building the product and once information gathering is happening what source of information is giving how much value so how much do you rely on maybe if you're just writing code and you ask an expert how to go about this maybe you listen to them but maybe you still do what you have to do because your losses are limited you can still write your own code and and lose nothing at the end of it but when you're deploying this to users and if you don't listen to somebody who's done it before what is the delta loss that you have so that was the second step to just understand what piece of information at what stage of the landscape is most important to users so and if if it's not being create if it's not creating enough value at that stage can we bolster that piece of information more can we research more there can we write more there so i think it was just mapping of that current landscape understanding where are the information sources coming from and how important are they at each step and where is my expertise lying to be able to fill that gap because from start to end i can probably write about everything but i won't make sense everywhere so i will probably sound a lot foolish maybe at the end versus at the start and all of that so just making sure we strike that balance between what is my expertise versus what is the current state gap in in how information is being fed so i think these are three three broad ways i started off when i thought about them and the final piece uh, i think was was came in fact when when i actually started mapping out ideas to say that how how did we do it basically at and so a lot of the book is very storytelling in 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 that a lot of what we did at infido comes into play to say that this is how we did it this is how it worked and and this could be a line of investigation that you look at as well so when a lot of those ideas were mapped out for me when a lot of that thinking came into play the final piece was a quote unquote validation in many ways in that i've done it too but you might want to hear from experts who do it on a daily basis as well so in in that there is somebody who's doing it a lot more than me there is somebody who's do, who's done it for a lot longer time than i have so just bringing all of those sources of information in one place together as well to make sure that even though i put out an opinion of my own there are people who've done it in in all walks of life across the board everywhere who continue to do it there are some places where they might 
disagree with me. There are some places where they might agree with me, but all of the information at the end of it is in one place. So I don't I don't mind contradicting myself in the latter half by virtue of, of anything else, but just that the reader or somebody who's actually trying to solve for this has everything in one place, regardless of how, how it goes for me. So that's where I believe your uh, experts who you brought in to write the chapters came in, and that's the role that they're potentially playing there. Uh, just before we move on and actually talk about the book, yeah. what did you find? What were companies doing with, with data? What were they doing when they're talking of getting AI into their system? What did you really find before you wrote the book? Oh, yep. Uh, I think uh, so. I also, by virtue of what I found, divided the book into three different sets, which was before you start, once you start, and once you've gotten into the process. So I think these were three places where I felt maximum delta existed between current state and what companies were doing. I realized one of the biggest problems with stage number one, which was when you begin the process of putting out these solutions, was just just that they, AI was a buzzword, right? As you said, like data science, AI is being used all over the place. So a lot of people had AI solutions to problems that did not need AI solutions. So I'll give you an example as well. So I think one of them was just, uh, if, if I'm trying to understand whether once a user comes in to my web page and they click a button, they are more likely to make a sale based on some factors and so on and so forth. So that is an AI solution to me. But uh, in terms of just mapping out what paths they took, where they come from, what is their likelihood to convert based on all of that. But then when a user has come, for example, already already bought the product and you're trying to send them recommendation emails and so on and so forth, a lot of this can be achieved without putting in a lot of that investment in that these can be very quick hack because once somebody's made a purchase, of course, you can convert simple problems into AI problems or data science problems as well. But some problems are just right in front of you. Like you, you don't necessarily have to have very large, robust systems, machine learning algorithms to be able to do this for you, because this is something that you can quickly validate, learn from and move on from without even that much investment, that much thought. And I think that's that's one of the biggest gaps that I felt that people are applying. Um, and and uh, I, I think there is some there, there's one of my colleagues who I worked with at Udacity named Louis Serrano, and, and he used to speak about this a lot, is that you don't kill a dinosaur with a flying pan and you don't kill a housefly with a bazooka. It's the other way around. So that's what that's what he used to talk about. That I, And I felt that a lot of times businesses are trying to kill houseflies with bazookas. So the solution is far more power than what the problem presents itself as. So I think that was one of the biggest deltas I found when they began the process. During the process, one of the biggest things that I found was a lot of times there was very little thought on the fact that there is one way to be able to serve this to users in that people and, and, and humans are humans at the end of it, right? So one of the examples was uh, when, when we look at how the GDPR came into place and, and everything that happens in the US with the federal, uh, the, their federal penitentiary and the uh, convict ranking system and a lot of those things that have come into place. So I think lots of those are AI solutions that are that, that exist in, in private, yes, they, they work out well. But when you position them outside badly, they can be taken badly. So if I tell you that, Shantanu, you're going to come to a bank, and just by virtue of everything that you've done in life already, I will give you a score that says whether I can give you a loan or not. So times can change, things can change. I always believe in, in something that 
uh, that that I quote from Nassim Taleb as well. I think the linear is not the norm. The non-linear is the norm because you cannot forecast into the future so far ahead uh, to be able to to be able to actually understand from past patterns that something might happen. Some and of course you could be right most times, but you have to give room for that non-linear, which I did not think companies to many degree understood gave as well. And I think I I write about this in a very little anecdote. in my book as well to just say that and this was mathematician michael barry that wrote about it first i think a couple of decades ago and he said that and and this was a very fascinating anecdote for me when i put it out was when you're playing pool right when you're playing billiards or anything and and a lot of us have done that before in the past maybe have family friends who who do it on a daily basis but when you play pool uh when when you start the game when you take your first shot there are maybe 10 12 variables based on which i can tell you where the ball is going to go how you're positioning your stick how how well versed you are with the game whether you've had a bad day what's the weather what's the pattern of the billiards table like all of that maybe 10 12 variables i can come very close to understanding where the ball is going by the 10th shot or by the 12th shot the number of probabilities the number of variables required to be able to predict where your 12th shot will be are greater than the atoms in the universe so that's the level of ambiguity we're hitting in that nobody really knows what's going to happen so just by virtue of selecting a very small set of data and predicting maybe 2 days 4 days in advance can get you somewhere but most times it can get you nowhere like you can be exposed to a full flow of ambiguity that that has never hit you before absolutely it's time for a short break stay with us after the break so need to understand what kind of data is powering this decision making right like for example am i accurately able to predict based on 10 more variables that i add that if somebody's opened the door they will enter the door if somebody's opened my the door of my house they've rung my bell there is intent to come in now i can add data points that say what car they drove in how they're feeling right now what is the temperature of their body i can add 100 variables but if they've rung my bell there is intent to come in You are listening to a Business Podcast Network original. Podcasting is the fastest growing content marketing opportunity which is untapped. We can help you craft your audio strategy and help leverage the wide reach and easy streaming capability that the smartphone penetration provides. It is easy, it is powerful and personal. Talk to us to find out how podcasting can help you build your brand and reach out to your targets like never before. Write to us at bpn at bizcast dot in. That is bpn at b i z c a s t dot i n. Business Podcast Network. Podcasts end to end. Welcome back. I'm Shubhanjan Sarkar, your host for Bits About Books and founder of Pitchlink, the buyer seller engagement platform. Let's dive right back into the episode where we left it. so so let's let's get into the book your first chapter or first point makes it pretty clear you need to assess whether it's really an ai problem or not right so how how do you expect organizations to go about doing that i think yeah to to begin with i think one of the things that uh you start with is as i said are you killing a house fly with a bazooka is number one for me i think if if you figure out whether this problem is an ai problem this problem requires solutioning of greater degrees and how you understand whether this is an ai problem is just by virtue of and and i think a lot of this doesn't even require 
high expertise in the field, it probably just requires critical thinking. So you need to understand what kind of data is powering this decision making, right? Like for example, am I accurately able to predict based on 10 more variables that I add that if somebody's opened the door, they will enter the door. If somebody's opened my the door of my house, they've rung my bell, there is intent to come in. Now I can add data points that say what car they drove in, how they're feeling right now, what is the temperature of their body? I can add a hundred variables, but if they've rung my bell, there is intent to come in. So are you solving a problem that requires a great degree of expertise in, in a lot of those avenues? Or is the problem solvable to a greater degree, 80-90% just by virtue of what you already have? So I think that's where I, I love when organizations begin. Because a lot of times we know that data scientists and, and so on and, and just people in the space of AI are in many ways talent is expensive and it's getting even more expensive as we go. So which opens the door and possibility to the fact that it's you have to think a little more before you make those decisions. And I think that's where I love companies when, when they begin. The second is just and, and three pointers on one what I think that should be required. The second is just understanding how you're adding value beyond technology in that are you making processes faster? Are you are you helping human lives do better at what they do? Or are you making some some sort of monetary advantage to it and so on and so forth? So I think this is the second piece because we've seen uh, and, and I speak about it somewhere in the middle of the book that AI problems have this uh, every time you build out these data science solutions, the curve of the learning curve is very different from standard engineering solutions in many ways because the last one percent of building the solution probably requires the 90 percent of effort that that you know the start the kickstart the cold start is easy but when you get into the solution when you're almost there improving accuracies from 95 to 96 is the hardest not coming from zero to 95 or something like that so i think that's the second one the final one is something i believe holds most importance to me uh, is that what does your do domain require in many ways and how are users engaging with your domain today so uh, for for example a lot of my friends are in the healthcare medical domain as as doctors nurses and and so on and so forth and one of the things that we we've seen is that patients often and and there's this whole wave about ai replacing doctors ai replacing diagnostics and so on and so forth right is that domain is is that what's going to work well can you forecast a future maybe a few years down where patients will be okay with wrong decisions made by machines probably not there's in in nursing in healthcare there is still that very strong relevance and an importance of the human to human contact to be able to speak to the doctor understand how it's going to be able to associate with the nurse what's happening and everything so a lot of those things are still very important how you bring in ai to your domain is crucial there because you can go down the wave of we can do this diagnostic better than doctors, but patients and doctors will both not let your solution get adopted in that way. So either you can assist them in doing their job better, still keeping the domain more human, or you can just kickstart and, and be like, you know, I'm going to replace this, I'm going to do this and, and hit a wall. So I think that's the final piece. Uh, let's talk about two examples. Uh, one is where you see this process actually being done very well and one possibly where it was not done very well so so actually our readers get, our our readers and our our listeners get a sense of how to look at it with some kind of a practical lens uh, can you elaborate a bit 
Oh, definitely. And and I love that question. Because I think I, I also had the same trouble when I was writing this to find those examples. I think one of the, uh, the easier one is to find where a solution doesn't work, right? Like, I think that's usually the easiest. Um, tons of domains, I want to start with education. I think one of the places where AI solutions are being used in education to some degrees um, are, are today's in day and age, we have these robot teachers who can go into classrooms, uh, they have audio visual displays on them, they can project stuff and all of that. So these are these little robot humanoids that can be teachers. And they go to schools, they teach because I think when, when you look at it unilaterally, there is a volume of quality teachers problem in the country, in, in India at least, and, and in many places across the world. So when you go about it from that lens, it seems like you want to replace teachers with like ultra advanced like machines. And when you go down that route, a lot of the teacher-pupil relationship breaks down. That is one that users, students aren't able to take back. You can't really talk to a robot to some degree today, right? Like you can't have the same shared experiences, human life that a lot of times best teachers and, and you know, everybody knows that the best teachers are probably the ones that have taught you more than just the subject that they came to teach. So a lot of times robots will, humanoid robots and a lot of that will fail at that, not be able to bridge that gap with pupils. But more importantly, we'll have backlash from teachers unions and a lot of that because teachers are still at the end of it, very, very valuable people. In, in And my mother's been an educator for about 25 years now. So I think she uh, believes the same things that you can have a lot of these tools and stuff and, and that could work out for you. But in many ways, sometimes it just boils down to the fact that the human connection and relationship is missing. Uh, so that's one place that it doesn't work. One place that I've seen it work to some degree, and it's still in very nascent stages, I would like to believe, is in healthcare. When And, and a lot of things don't work in healthcare when it comes to AI, but this one I feel is, is getting close when a lot of times uh, the human eye is probably not able to detect to the same degree um, maybe images when, you, when you're detecting cancer, when you're detecting a lot of these diseases. So a lot of those scans, and, and of course, I'm not a medical professional. To, to, to me, it all looks like x-rays. But a lot of those scans, when you push down machines, machines are able to understand by very, very small nuances that this might be something that is worth a second look. And then they assist doctors to say that, you know, maybe this is it, maybe try a couple more tests. So maybe maybe just like figure out a little more than what you already thought. And, and go with that line of thinking. So that helps in many ways because it helps doctors do their jobs better rather than taking over their jobs because you still can't break that patient-doctor care, the, that entire relationship out yet. So I think lots of those, when you just supercharge with efficiency on the doctor's end, you're helping somebody who's already in their job do their job better. So I think those solutions are, are what work out the very best. What are your thoughts? Uh, you, you have been in uh, Infido, LinkedIn, uh, now you're at Snapchat. What are your thoughts about AI being used liberally in businesses? I mean, every new startup wants to have an AI element in their deck. They want to say that, oh, we have AI and, and that sort of excites investors looks like. Uh, so you have been sort of in that environment. What, what do you think businesses are doing it well? I mean, uh, education and health are too large social uh, problems so i understand the impact that ai can have there but what 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 do you see from your point uh, ai actually doing uh, in 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 business and maybe in the tech sector where you are 
Yeah, and I think for, for and and great question. I think tech is a we we all talk about big tech all the time these days. So I think just just to touch upon that, of course, uh, uh, there are there are some places, avenues, some topics I might not be able to touch on by virtue of my employment. But I think overarching theme is that two ways. It's uh, and and to address the first part when you mentioned a lot of people want to use AI because it sells well. Um, I think we're getting to a place where it's getting tougher to be able to do that. But also when there are also easier out of the box solutions available more these days. So you can have a full fledged AI powered company, but you can have no AI expertise within the company. And that's somehow scaling to a very good degree these days, uh, which means that the difference between research and industry is growing very large for, for from what I see. There are solutions like GPT-3 and DALI that have come out recently that OpenAI and, and Elon Musk and everybody have, have put through. So when you have OpenAI, when you have GPT-3, you have a set of researchers that are state of the art at what they do. And they are doing that for you, but they're making money out of it by charging you. So in many ways, I feel it works out for everybody. But remember that your business is, you cannot fine tune it anymore after that, right? Because you need AI expertise in-house to figure out after one point how it's going, how you're evaluating your solution. Maybe if you need to make some tweaks, customize it, so on and so forth. So you'll hit roadblocks there. But the first 10 steps, I think you'll be able to take very, very smoothly, very easily, which is now the onus is on investors and everybody else to decide whether the business only needs to go those 10 steps or needs to go beyond those 10 steps. So in that, if I'm just optimizing operational stuff, um, top of the line, maybe just surface level stuff, then it's okay. Like you can you can use AI, you can use GPT-3, you cannot have AI advantages, you cannot have AI teams inside your organization. And that works well for you. Like bare minimum understanding, that's okay. It works out if your business is in that domain. But if you want to stay scale beyond that, if you want to take the 11th step, that's when investors will start bringing in caution, bringing in a lot of that stuff. But usually I think the current state that we're in, uh, it, it works out well because you first take the 10 steps, you make your money out of it, then you can probably bring in AI experts. So I think that's usually working out better for the industry today. How big tech is using AI is in many ways very, very different from how startups use AI, because a lot of it is uh, two avenues. I think one of them is growth, one of them is revenue. A lot of times when when we use in, in the social media space or anything of that sort, like Facebook is notorious for their growth team, right? Like they will, hyper-personalize your notifications, your feed, your updates, your friend suggestions, everything that relates to your experience on the app is personalized to a very strong degree with Facebook. So very similarly, I think big tech, social media, we've been using it in two broad ways, either to keep you on the app, build your users a lot more, grow your user base, personalize the app so much for you that it's very tough for you to get off. That is one place. The other place big tech uses AI is revenue. So how can we make you do retentive app actions that actually bring money to us? So we can just push ads on content that are more relevant to you, which means that you're going to click on more stuff that will make us money. So I think these are two broad avenues that, that we've been using AI and big tech differs in many ways from startups because startups will tackle very, very narrow problems uh, when, when they're beginning, when they're starting out at companies like Facebook or whatever. We're operationalizing everything from uh, top of the line machine learning models. There is also AI for infrastructure, 
wherein how you're resourcing your servers and all of that is also intelligently done. And maybe at lower levels where how you are making engineering decisions, how you're deciding whether a user will come onto your app, your your website or what they will come onto. So everything top to bottom is, is powered by AI. And it works out very well for us because we have volumes of data that is inaccessible to startups. So I think that creates a very strong competitive advantage. So that's another point, actually. See, we we use the term AI and machine learning interchangeably. Correct. Yeah. And and that's not that, that's not right. Fundamentally, AI is something different, right? It is not intelligence. Machine learning is is not intelligence, right? So correct. Yeah. So yeah, that's 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 also sort of adding to the ambiguity in the in the in the space. Oh, makes sense. Yeah, I think that's that's a very in, nice note that you touch upon because I think that's something that I speak about many times. I think that's uh, because when you say uh, intelligence, I think intelligence is such a ambiguous term to use today also because we as humans, I believe, have not been able to zero down on what intelligence means yet, right? So we believe, and, and this is Nick Bostrom at, at Oxford, uh, at, at Cambridge writes about this a lot, is that in many ways, intelligence today is believed as something that is at human level capacity, right? So we, we don't know anything that's more intelligent than us yet. So which means that we hold intelligence to the standards of human level intelligence. And everything that matches that is intelligence. Everything that doesn't is not intelligence. So that's one fearful way that I think that the industry might be looking at this today in that machine learning is narrow. Machine learning solves very targeted problems, doesn't have much of a domain, can't think beyond what you've trained it to do. But uh, this goes on to a more philosophical discussion of whether that is intelligence or whether that is not, because I, I have an opinion on it yet. Uh, I, I mean, mine is, of course, very nascently formed and, and moves across both ways as I still keep reading more. But from what I see, intelligence is yet to be defined, which means it could be that, and, and we dismiss a lot of progress in AI, and I've, and I've seen this across the board uh, in, in people who write about it in, in the news and everything. I think Wall Street Journal is notorious for this, uh, in that when a machine learning algorithm is trained to a great degree, when you build out these solutions and they beat Gary Kasparov at chess, for example, right? And, and they beat the world champion too many times and, and this just becomes a very big thing to talk about. People say, oh, this is just a chess thing, right? Like this is not going to scale to how Gary Kasparov makes decisions in, their, in his house and so on and so forth. So it's not human level intelligent. It is just good at chess. But if it's just good at chess, what, what, what is the problem with that, right? Like because uh, are you saying that it's not intelligent enough? I would argue that it is in that domain. So that's, I think it's uh, machine learning is not AI because AI is thought of as intelligence in many ways that is that is brought about and can grow by itself. And I think that's the colloquially used term for it. But also machine learning is AI. So I think that's where I'm at. It can be this and it can be that. And it's it's more of a philosophical discussion to be had from from the looks of it than than anything technical that I have expertise in either. Right. Uh, let's wrap up this with your experience of approaching these uh, other experts whom you wanted to include in your book. How did you go about doing that, and and what has been the result of that effort? 
Uh, yeah, and I think uh, this was the most fulfilling part for me to be able to put out that book because when I got the content out, when I got the book out, I realized that uh, across my journey, across the, the, the times that I'd spent in the industry, there are some mentors I'd had, some people I'd interacted with before. I remember my first call I made was was to Dr. Shailesh Kumar, who is the chief data scientist of Reliance Geo. And, and I think Reliance Geo is is famous in the world to be able to use very, very powerful AI systems to, to scale their user base to to mammoth sizes that, that nobody has ever seen in telecom before. So I think that's, uh, Dr. Shailesh was somebody I met uh, at, at a conference once. He was judging the work that I did. He, he gave me the prize and everything for it. So built out a very strong relationship with him. He's one of the absolute premier uh, folks in, in how AI should be thought about in the world and industry. And, and mostly in terms of how India can be scaled out. So made the first call to him, uh, got got a podcast out, put that on a chapter, and, and that's where it started. So it was there, and then started reaching out to folks who I believed had a lot of moonshot experiences in domains where I felt I lacked, or domains where I felt that I could not have provided a valuable enough piece of information to my readers. So the second person I reached out to was Nireal, and I think Nireal is famous for putting out hooked and indistractable. Uh, and, and I think he's a very strong expert on product design and product education. And and I believe I don't bring that expertise into my book because it was too technical uh, in, in many ways. So brought him on. It was a lot of uh, uh, cold reach outs. It was a lot of convincing uh, these, these great people that have done some incredible work in the industry to be able to partner with me, put this out with me just by virtue of the fact that the ecosystem needed it and and just that their expertise can couple that with mine a lot. So a lot of cold reach outs, a lot of no's, but, but I think largely taught me a lot more in those eight chapters than I actually learned by putting out my own book. So, so very, very thankful uh, to be able to get those, those viewpoints out as well. Bits About Books is brought to you by Pitchlink, the buyer-seller engagement platform. Pitchlink makes buying easy by enabling high-quality engagement between buyers and sellers through its presentation and discussion modules. Sellers create customized sales narratives using sales collaterals and personal videos and reach out to prospects through a non-intrusive, buyer-qualified engagement. Pitchlink requires no installation or download and holds the entire repository of sales collaterals and buyer-seller conversations. Talk to us to know more about how you can engage with customers without intuition. Call us on 99021-631-32. Great. Shantanu, thank you very much. I really enjoyed our chat and I, I, I wish that this book is a great success. I look forward to your next one and uh, I'm sh- I hope that you'll come back and talk about that. Definitely, I, I hope that works out for me too. But but thank you so much, Swan. This was uh, lo- lovely to speak to you as well. I think lots of things that I learned just by virtue of the things that we spoke about. So thank you so much once again for that. We have a fantastic lineup over the next couple of episodes with great conversations on breakthrough books. Subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you do not miss a single episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you for being with us today on Bits About Books, where we talk to authors about breakthrough books on sales, marketing, and business. 
We hope this conversation helped inform and motivate as we all navigate a rapidly changing business environment. For us, these are enlightening conversations enriched with knowledge and expertise. We encourage you to go out and buy the book to learn firsthand and implement some of the great ideas we discussed today. We hope to have you with us again in the next exciting episode of Bits About Books. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify or wherever else you get your podcast from and give us a rating while you are at it. This Bizcast original podcast is produced for Pitchlink, the next generation buyer-seller engagement platform where the mission is to make buying easy. Hosted by Subhanjan Sarkar and produced by Rajiv Aditya. See you next time and have a wonderful day.